Hey there, so glad you hopped onto the Collide podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide and the host of this podcast. And I am so glad to spend some time with you today. We're going to cover a hard topic, but such an important one. Julie Von Blank hopped on the podcast, and I'm going to let you in on that interview here in a minute. But she is an abuse survivor herself, where she shares in this podcast about her story. She's a domestic violent advocate, a recovery group leader, a facilitator of a Voices Survivor Committee for the Family Justice Center where she lives. She writes a faith-based advocate curriculum to train leaders for abuse recovery, and she also just put out a book. And I think that whether or not you're hopping on here today and you've experienced abuse, or you might be coming into contact and colliding with others who are experiencing abuse. This is such a helpful interview to sort of hear myths around why it's hard to leave, why women don't escape it, what happens when they live in that cycle of abuse all the time, indicators of what an abusive person might look like. There's so many things we covered in this interview, so I hope that it benefits you and the people that you love and do life with. Check it out. Julie, can you just start by sort of inviting us into how you got into this work of helping people experiencing domestic violence and sex trafficking? Absolutely. And my own story is rather long and involved. I did do a uh, um, hour and a half story time podcast with Calvary McMinnville Church just a couple weeks ago, and they have the episode up. And so, if you ever want the full, full story, I'll send you. I'll send you that direction. I'll give you a briefing for the purpose of this uh, work in ministry. And I do have an abuse story. Um, I was married to seventeen years to somebody who was um, e- emotionally and verbally abusive in particular, but also psychologically abusive. And eventually there were some physical and sexual incidents as well. He was also highly addicted to opiates, medications, to morphine. Um, and so we had three kids together. And as I, you know, look back on my life, it's been kind of helping me lately to put together a, t- a timeline to kind of think of when, when did unhealthy relationships start in my own life? And then to go back, you know, I recently discovered that my paternal grandfather um, sexually abused some of my girl cousins and they were older than I. He didn't get to me. I was a little too squirrely, I think, at the time, but I do clearly remember him trying to pull me on his lap and biting it. Um, and and even further than that, it goes back. And so a part of my healing that I didn't think would have to happen, which is happening now, now that I'm speaking so much on the topic, is that God's really walking me through my timeline on, on where it started. And um, even a great book from, um, his name is Mark Boy. I'm sorry, I have it in the living room, but it's called It Didn't Start With You. And it talks about the generational curses, you know, within families and how to heal and put a stop to those. So, yes, I did have a story. And I walked into uh, my first her journey class and it's a class that is is free for uh, survivors and it's put on by arms which stands for abuse recovery ministry and services and the only way i could take it at the time was because it was free and i walked in and i really walked in i'm a type a i'm a leader i've got some leadership capabilities 
And I walked in with that, you know, I am going to learn this class and I am going to teach it to women so that they truly understand that abuse is never God's plan for your life, ever. And there's no reason for ever to have abuse in your life. Um, and I walked out, out of there, of course, because God really, God really pulled, <laughs> God really pulled the shades up. And every, every single lesson I walked out of, I had tears pouring down my face. And fortunately, I had an extremely understanding leader who just knew that I just, you know, I needed to heal. I needed healing time. And once I worked on that healing, um, I could then, if I desired at that point, make an impact in other people's lives. So that first got me interested in it. We, of course, were raised, I was raised in an era of, you know, submission was preached from the pulpit. You know, the man having headship was preached from the pulpit. You know, they had the say in everything and we were to to follow was, was avidly preached. Um, and that affected my ability to make some decisions that should have been made, you know, earlier um, in my marriage and were not. So these classes were essential to my healing. And so... I went forward with that. I felt God lead me step by step. Um, I did have to work on some therapy and do some other things. There's some other good programs that are out there as well. But I really felt God, you know, leading me to teach this Her Journey class. So I came on staff with ARMS, which is Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. And we're nationwide and international. So we're not, we're based in Oregon, but we do have um, free Her Journey classes, you know, throughout the United States um, and beyond. Um, and then I thought I was done with that. And then God said, no, you're not. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he said, do you remember that writing gift that I gave you? And I was like, yes, because I love to write. But when we're in trauma and when, when we're in abuse and we're having you know issues, we don't, we forget about ourselves. We're working so hard to please the other person to make sure that things stay at peace, that we forget about our gifts and talents that God has given us. And so part of our healing, at least in my process, was I had to go back and rediscover my what I like to do, what I can do, what I was skilled at doing. And writing was, you know, is and was one of those things. And so my healing started to come out in my writing, you know, and I started writing blog posts and articles and all of those things. And within that time frame, I became very interested in hearing about human trafficking. Um, I was one of those people that thought one of those people that thought that human trafficking really only happened in third world countries and then it wasn't here. And the media, this was several years ago, so the media wasn't quite on it as much as they are now and people are a little bit more aware. But human trafficking happens in every city, in every state, in every town, in every region, whatever area you are in, it's happening. And so I set out to research that a little bit. And I learned, I learned that there are, as an example, uh, strippers who strip at strip clubs that don't really want to be there, but it's their partner or their husband or their boyfriend or maybe even a pimp, a situation that says, you know, you've got to do this to pay the bills. You know, we're not making it and you've got the body. You've got to do this. I learned that. Um, I've met many a gal teenager who started dating as a teenager um, and then became sexually active and then at one point, the boyfriend started taking her to his friend's house. She was expected to sleep with them as well. And there was money or goods or drugs exchanged for that. And that is human trafficking. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a prostitute, right? And nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a stripper in a club, very rarely. 
And so it is prevalent in our society. And when I understood that, um, the idea for this book that just came out called Innocent Lies, it's fiction, but it came with that idea in that perspective that it does happen in the United States. And what about all these children that are kidnapped every year that sadly are unaccounted for, that we never find, right? You know that some of them, we, we know some of them are killed. We know some of them, you know, go through tough things. Um, but that also feeds the market for trafficking. And, and yet we can't say those stats. We can't say that, you know, 80% of kidnappings result in trafficking because we, we don't see them again. So we can't put together, you know, those stats. And so the story, this first story was really built in my head of two girls who are kidnapped, even though that's not the normal way just to let you know that um, they resource their victims. But these two are kidnapped and go on two very different journeys. And one goes on a journey with a semi-nice guy and even finds herself somewhat attractive to this semi-nice guy who is saving her from this other really bad guy until the end when she discovers a secret and realizes he's not such a nice guy after all. And the other one wakes up in a brothel where she's, you know, expected to work and entertain clients and her drug, her, her owners give her drugs and she develops a second personality, which is very common in highly trauma, trauma situations. So so it's incredible that you went through such a difficult, trying story. You say you have a story of abuse, and here you are now, and this has become a passion for you. I mean, I can hear it's a passion for you. You have so much you want to say, so much you want to offer people. And I love that so much that the Lord can take our pain and He can purpose it and use it to help others. I've seen that in my own life. That's what Collide is about and and how God can meet us in our brokenness and heal us and he can use us there too. And it's absolutely incredible what you're doing and how much what you're doing has grown and unfolded. Before we get into more of that, I want to rewind back to this abusive relationship you were in. And I'm curious if you, when you think back, do you think back to seeing some of the signs of the relationship that you now see as unhealthy, but you didn't recognize it was at the time? Absolutely. Yes. There, and now, you know, being trained in the industry, I know even more. So, you know, I, I continue to learn. Um, but, you know, one of the signs, and we have, just to let you know, on the ARM site, it's abuserecovery.org. There's a resources tab and there's um, a lot of warning signs under there. But one of the ones I experienced was the push for quick involvement, which is very common in abusive relationships. Um, the, you know, he comes across as your prince charming in, in the beginning, and he's very charming and doesn't show these necessarily abusive tendencies. Uh, extreme jealousy is another. Um, I um, continue to tell people that my, my abuse story started when we got home for our honeymoon. Uh, because my my girls that were in our wedding were still in town, and they said, "Let's go to lunch. Let's go to the mall. I was a honeymoon. You know, we want to hear." And and he said, "No, you're not doing that." He said, "By doing that, you're choosing them over me." And I was like, "What?" You know, and all these things went through my head. How had I learned? You know, my husband's in charge. This is how it's supposed to be. Um, and so I was obedient to that, and I didn't go. You know, go on. And, and those things increased as we went along. But that was a very very early sign that something was up and something was not right there. You know, I compare it now. I am 
fortunately now to be remarried to an amazing guy for seven years and he loves me. And you know what? If I came home and said, I'm going out with the girlfriends, he'd be like, have a wonderful time. I'm so glad you get to do that. And that is a healthy, you know, relationship. And I, you know, I didn't have that and I didn't know that at the time. So yeah, those were both early warning signs. Um, another thing they tried to do is to isolate you from the people that will support you the most. So I think it was probably about four months into my marriage when I first heard, you know, we really shouldn't visit your parents so much because we, we fight every time we do and they, and it gives us a lot of strife and we need to focus on our, you know, relationship. And so we probably shouldn't connect with them as much as we should, but that's very intentional on somebody's behalf when they're being controlling or abusive is to take you away from any support network that you might have. So that was another early sign for us. Absolutely. So. You describe this experience of feeling the spiritual pressure to submit and do what your husband told you to do. And here he was controlling you and telling you what you could and you couldn't do and creating this isolated environment for you. So how did you escape that experience? Yeah, that took me a long time. We uh, were raised from very young, at least in my age group, you know, about submitting, about headship. Um, and that it takes two to make a child. And there's a reason for that because they need mom and dad. Um, and so there was a lot of guilt, you know, in those years, I did not officially get out until 17 years later. Um, when I finally realized more of what was going on, things got far worse. We had an incident with a gun. Um, the drug thing was worse. Um, it ended up being a really horrible, horrible story, you know, in the end. Um, and so I would say in the very beginning that that influence was very, very strong on me, what our church has taught and what I had been raised to believe, you know, in a Christian home. Um, but it's not the case because here's the key. If the man in the relationship and maybe it's vice versa is not first submitted to Christ, then you do not have to submit to them. It is not safe to submit to somebody who is not first submitted to Christ. And if he is submitted to Christ, he is going to treat you with honor and with respect and with equality. And that wasn't happening in our marriage. And somebody had somebody at that time been able to say, you know, yes, normally we would submit to our husbands. But your husband's not even following God or doing what Jesus would do at this point. It might have been a different perspective. So that is what I try to teach you know, ladies now is that a submission is a gift that you give. And I used to hate the word. My my current husband teases me a bit now. He's like, what lesson did you teach today? Was it on submission? I'm like, yeah, but I thought it three times this, this week. God gives it back to me in triplicate because for a long time, I didn't like the word for a very good reason. But what I was experiencing was not submission. It was oppression. And there is a difference between the two. Um, and so I think as our, our churches need to, you know, need to wind our training a little bit in there to include the fact that three in 10 women, and even at this point now, two in 10 men have experienced abuse. Um, and that is never getting God's plan for someone's life to be abused. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard you say that a couple of times, and I absolutely amen that it's never God's will to be in an abusive relationship. What helped you to know that? I mean, you're literally living in fear and being controlled and isolated. What was the thing that pushed you over the edge to say, enough is enough. I'm leaving. I'm not staying. I'm out of here. 
it was a process and I do, and in you saying that, I do want you and listeners to understand as well um, that we had very good times in our marriage as well. So this was not 17 years of pure control and abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and abusers are often like that. They can be very charming. Like I've worked with ladies of government, you know, <laughs> wives of senators, evangelists. You know, they're very charming often in public and they can go home and they can be charming too. It's a cycle that they go around. We call it the cycle of, um, of abuse. So know that that whole 17 years was not, you know, um, all abusive. If it had been, maybe I would have got to it sooner. But what finally clinched it for me was that things were so bad that I wanted to go to counseling and he didn't want to go to counseling. We had tried couples counseling, which by the way, we never recommend in abuse. That's not the way to go. But we had tried couples counseling. It was a failure. He quit. And so this time I went and I saw my pastor at my church. And he was our children's and family pastor. And my husband didn't attend. And my husband didn't like me going to counsel with our pastor. But I did anyway on this time. And he handed me a sheet of behaviors. And they were thinking, and he said, do any of these things happen at home? And at the top, it very clearly said abusive behaviors. And you know what I did? I was on the defensive, right? I laughed and I handed it back. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he didn't, he wouldn't take it back. He was like, take it back, take it back. He wouldn't take it back. I took it back and I looked at it again and I'm like, I am so embarrassed. Yes, this stuff happens at home and it happens almost every day, you know, at least every week. And even as I was there talking to my pastor in counseling, my husband was texting like crazy on my phone and calling and texting and I was grabbing it and having to answer because I knew that there would be consequences later when I got home if I didn't answer those right away. So that was my first realization that what I had at home wasn't normal. I knew it wasn't normal because of the drug addiction and all of that that was also going on, you know, but substance abuse and domestic abuse are truly two separate issues and they both have to be addressed um, separately. So that was very eye-opening to me that, hey, this is not this is not a relationship that most people have when I had never really known that before. Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. 
So someone helped sort of denormalize it to help you understand that this wasn't okay. That's interesting. I think there's a lot of myths around women experiencing domestic violence and people who haven't experienced domestic violence think, why didn't you just leave the first time? And I think it's really interesting that you bring up that it wasn't all bad. And that's actually the mind game. That's actually what makes it so messed up is you have loyalty and love and uh, a connection with someone who's also hurting you. And that makes it even harder to leave. Can you invite people who've never experienced domestic violence to understand why a woman doesn't leave when other people might think she should? Yes, there is absolutely extreme psychological conditioning that has gone on. Um and the reason I can explain that to you fairly well is because my current husband now knows how stubborn I am. <laughs> and when he first, when we first reconnected seven years ago, he was like, I can't even imagine you putting up with that. You know, that's just so, that is so unlike you. And it's true. And that's why one of the characters in my book, I made super strong and super stubborn um, because there's so much psychological conditioning in it that it changes you. So your abuser becomes very convincing. And one of the things, many of the things you will hear from your abuser are things like, you can never make it on your own. The kids need me full time, so you have no right to do this. You've never even worked. You stayed home to raise the kids, so what are you going to do financially if you leave me? And this final, final one that can be fatal to people really is, nobody else will ever love you like I do. Because you're a mess. Abusers will blame you know, the survivor all the time. You're a mess. Nobody will ever love you. And, and loneliness is a huge fear, you know, that we women who have, you know, have had in that. So the reasons are numerous. And I've met, I've met women that, you know, they tell me their reasons for going back. You know, I had reasons for going back. One of those was at one point financial. One of those was at one point he was on state care. And unless he increased his household size, none of his medical was going to be taken care of anymore. So we went back and we were roommates, but we were still back in the same house. You know, I felt like at the time I was trying to be Jesus's hands and feet to him. And that's what I should have done, you know, but I've had ladies that have left and haven't been able to make it financially and every turn, you know, for the money reason for all of that. There's tremendous pressure from your kids. I worked with a gal this week that they had just flown her in from another state to save her life. And her kids are like seven and nine. And the whole week, all she's been hearing is them crying, saying, why, why, why did you take us from daddy, mommy? Why won't we ever see daddy again? You know, we're so confused. And, and so we also have a very real push and pull of children who either don't know what to believe, or they feel like if they believe one parent over another, that they're being, you know, the most loyal to that parent. And that would be wrong. So they're confused. And a lot of times they've not seen the abuse. It's happened behind closed doors. And so even if you try to explain it to them, you know, their loyalty is usually optimized with the other parents. So there's numerous reasons why, you know, we, we tend to go back. Um, but eventually, you know, my husband was not my only my abusive relationship. I told you when I worked on my timeline that there were others um, and boyfriends. And that's what made me realize in my heart that, there was something wrong with me. And it wasn't that the abuse was my fault. It wasn't. I mean, I really, I tell my girls this all the time. I say, I felt like I wore a shirt that said, I've been abused, abuse me, abuse me more. And they all smile because they've been there and done that. But there was something in me that needed healing. There was some reason that I was 
maybe not seeking that behavior out, but at least being accepting of it when it happened, you know, instead of paying attention to the Holy Spirit's red flags, as I should have been. And I had to work on that piece in me. Um, I had to do that in order to forgive myself, to heal myself, to forgive them, and to move into the abundant life that God had planned for me. Because there was no way I could get there until I went through all that to get there. Mm -hmm. When you kind of lay out some of the reasons why women get stuck in the domestic violence cycle, it makes so much sense to people who haven't experienced it. How many tries does it take the average woman to leave? So that has changed. Um, Sadly, has changed. A few years ago, it was four to five uh, average times a woman would leave and return either to the same abuser or to a different abuser. Um, But during COVID, we saw those numbers sharply, you know, increase. And so now it's an average of seven to 10 times, which is even scarier because that's seven to 10 more times that they could even get killed or or hurt, you know, badly. Um, But there's much more desperation now out there. And uh, so those numbers have increased in a dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. What helped you to build a new life, Julie? You know, everybody's journey is different. And I think I, I talk to gals on the phone all the time that are, you know, how'd you do it? And how'd you get where you're at? Because look at where you're at, you know. And, and all I can say is each journey is different. You know, those her journey classes I took at ARMS were my first step and essential. And I took them more than once. And you don't need to be ashamed to do that. Many people do take them more than once because they truly helped me recognize my value and my worth. I felt validated. I felt peace. I knew that these behaviors that I was seeing from myself even were normal in my reactions. I learned how to set boundaries. I was able to teach my kids because we had to co-parent for a while how to, how to you know make those boundaries and make that happen. Um, and that was a large part of my, my healing. And I think some of my healing too has come through coaching, you know, with people um, through their situations and the advocacy work, you know, that I do. Um, but every time I get to another where I think I'm done, I'm not. Because, you know, most recently God said, okay, it's time to share your story. <laughs> I was like, you're asking the neighbor next door, right? You're not asking me to go out there and talk and share my story. Plus I had my kids to consider, you know, who are still here. And um, my first husband's family is also still around, even though he is, he has passed. He did pass a few years ago from his uh, decision. So I I had to be careful and, and run a balance, but God was really obvious, not only get back into writing, but write your stuff and then go out and talk about it and tell people about it and teach. Uh, People need to, to know these things. So that was a part of my healing, you know, as well. I have occasionally needed some medical help. Um, I'm not on one now, but there's been times throughout the last few years where I've needed an anti-anxiety medication that I go on for, you know, a short time because um, I do have a little bit of PTSD and I do get occasionally a panic attacks. And, um, and I hate that because it's an effect of my abuse. You know, I used to be Extreme, uh, on stage, for instance, I used to be very comfortable on stage and I was excited about stage and I love being on stage. And now when I go on stage to talk and tell my story, Satan battles me and he gives me these panic attacks. And I'm like, oh, you know, in some ways it just makes me mad. And I'm like, I'm not going to bow to this, you know, because God wants me up there. And God has made that very evident. So each woman I work with, her process is very different. Some may not have advocacy work. There's some ladies that will never be able to be advocates and that's okay, right? If God doesn't lead you there, it leads you to something else. 
you know, there's lots of side avenues, but I've worked with ladies who have become social workers and counselors and even, you know, got their doctorates and are making a difference and authors and speakers, you know, because of their experiences, especially in human trafficking, which is really important. It's not a lot of people survive. So when you're in a trafficking situation, the fact that you've survived is a huge story, you know, and if you can thrive after surviving, after being trafficked, that's just, you know, all the more power to God. I mean, that's an amazing story. Um, as we've seen some of those. Yeah. I love that you were willing to tap into the resources that God put in your path and that helped you build a new life. And I also love that you're being real and saying, you know, you still have PTSD. And I love that because I think that's real. And I mean, I'm a kid who experienced domestic violence and I still have fears that creep up and worry, and I would say PTSD as well. And I don't think that's something that we should be embarrassed or ashamed about. I think that's just plain true. And not only true, it invites other people to be real about, you know, on this side of the perfect place called heaven. Like I'm probably, I'll speak for myself, always going to have things that trigger me back into those abusive situations. And it's my work uh, to lean into God's healing. Like I, I'm always asking God and leaning into God and trying to tap into the resources available to me. So I'll be triggered less. So I'll have less fear so that I won't act out of worry over being hurt by other people. But it's very true that that's a part of my story. And it's a part of your story. And look at you. God's using you to bring healing to others. And while you're bringing healing to others, he's healing you. And that's what a good God we have. I wanted to ask you, a couple questions, because I'm thinking about women who are listening to this, and they're listening to it either for themselves or for a friend or someone they might be concerned about. And I want to get your advice on a couple of things. One is, and I know you shared some of yours, but I bet you have an even longer list of what are some indicators a woman might be entering into a new relationship with someone right now and they will become abusive. There must yeah. be these like markers to look for. Yeah, there, there are markers. Uh, the three of the ones I mentioned are on that list. Um, Another one would be anger. Um, if somebody seems to have an anger management problem, you know, in the old days, they sent them to anger management classes, and sometimes they try to these days too. But the states and the counties are slowly but surely recognizing that anger and abuse are two separate issues. Um, and you can, you can be angry and you can still choose not to be abusive, um, even though some might need, you know, the care of both. So, you know, those, the ones I mentioned, the extreme jealousy, the push for involvement, um, you know, any anger issues. Um, needing to know where you are at all times um, or being a little bit concerned if for some reason you're supposed to be home at seven and it's run until eight and he's on the phone with you going, okay, where are you? What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, I, I need to know um, things like that. Um, people who try to control any aspect of your life. I mean, here's the thing. Somebody who loves you and cares for you really wants you to recognize your dreams, wants you to follow your dreams. And if you're, if you're like, man, honey, I've always wanted to go back to school and finish that degree. And that's just not really on my heart lately. And I want to do that. And he's like, man, school's a waste of time. I don't want you going back to school or me, or maybe he says something like, well, 
you know, that takes time away from the kids. And then what happens or I'm just stuck with the kids or that's not very cool. Or, you know, their, their responses to things are very important. How they treat other people is important, even in their family. And, you know, they give us that old adage that, you know, how they treat your mother is how, how they treat their mom is how they're going to treat you and so forth and so on. But any opportunity to hang out with this person in your mind and their friends and family is a good one to watch and to see how those relationships are. And is he respectful to people? Does he honor people and take care of people? Or does he leave that, you know, that setting and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe Aunt Doris. Can you believe she did this stuff again? And blah, 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 blah. Um, You can tell a lot by just listening um, and by watching. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit, he is really good at giving us red flags. And we are sometimes really good at ignoring those red flags. But in my life, when I ignore a red flag, I'm usually, you know, I'm usually uh, you know, later, I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I ignore that red flag? So most of all, you know, watch relationships around you. You will see that healthy relationships around each other, that those people truly seek to serve each other. And that is their goal, to serve each other any way they can because they love them. And that's, and, and they're living out what Jesus lived for us, you know, when he came to this earth, but pay attention if any red flags come up. I highly encourage that. So Holy Spirit is really, really good at giving those, those to us, you know. And if even if people can even take her journey, if they don't think they've ever been in abuse, you know, we've had ladies come through that say, "Whoa, I had no idea, but I did grow up with it a little bit, so I thought I would take this class, and now I realize, you know, my marriage is also abusive." Um, there's a lot of training available, um, a lot of good books out there as well on the topic. If someone is currently stuck in an abusive relationship and they're listening to this podcast, what's your best advice for them for getting out? Well, first of all, I want to change the phrasing a bit because um, I realize that we feel like we are stuck. Uh, that's definitely a feeling. Um, but one of the lessons we have on her journey that was really vital to me is our lesson about choices. And we always have choices. Now, usually we don't like the choices we have. <laughs> is what it comes down to. But we do always like choices. So I think a very first step, if you feel stuck, is to reach out. You know, reach out to an organization, reach out to ARMS, or there's other ones out there, you know, as well that are doing good work. You know, give us a call or send us an email. And and we even get emails that say, you know what, I'm not sure this is abuse. And I had a lady um, in my Her Journey group last week tell me, she goes, you know, I, I came to decide whether my relationship was abusive, she goes, or whether it was just toxic. And I'm like, and what'd you decide? And she goes, I've, I've decided it's just toxic. And I just wanted to hug her because toxic is abusive. If you're in a toxic relationship, there is abuse going on. Now, both of them are working on their stuff and hopefully, you know, they'll make it and the abuse will, will stop. But for in order for you to live abundantly in, you know, in your life, you know, God, you have to have that abuse out of there. In some way, shape, or form, it's got to change in that relationship. When when someone's listening to this podcast and they believe they have a friend who is in an abusive situation, how can they best help a friend? Yeah, there's there's, um, there's also a great article on the ARM site, abuserecovery.org, under resources that says how to um, how to respond to a survivor. Um, and there's 10 things that I actually list um, in that article that you can read. But when I'm out and about and I'm speaking and they really want to know, the first thing I really want them to know is that this person coming to you needs to be believed no matter what. 
And that is even if you know her spouse or her partner, and even if he or she is the most charmingest person in the world, even if he's the pastor or the elder or another leader, believe her. Because you can bet that there have been other times in her life that she has tried to tell people and she gets answers like, oh, are you sure it's that bad, honey? Or could you maybe use some couples counseling? Or here's a good one. Maybe he didn't mean it that way. And they've already heard that and they've already had that control in their life. So first and foremost, always believe them. Always believe them and then always validate them and tell them you do not deserve that treatment. God would not want you to be treated that way in any way, shape, or form. And you are worth more than that and help them to see that. And that's, there's other things as well. A lot are listed in that article, but those are the two most top important things. Be believed, be validated, be confidential. You don't go and share it with anybody else. She needs to be able to know that she has somebody to come to, um, that her husband's not going to find out about it or the small group next door or whatever um, is going to find out about it. That is really, really important. That's such good advice. I'm actually going to go read that article and share it with our Collide staff. It, it okay. sounds very helpful. Julie, I could talk to you for a long time about this topic because it's so important, but I, I want to wrap things up here and just say that you're doing beautiful work and it's amazing to see what God has done in your life and in your story and with your pain. And I'm kind of curious when you think about where you've been and where you are now, how do you put into words experiencing our God colliding with you, showing up in your life and in your pain and doing the unimaginable with it? So many ways. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he was present during the abuse. Um, and there were times during the abuse that I was not acknowledging God and he was still pursuing me. Um, there were times when we were having financial hard times and he provided families that gave us Christmas. My husband was sick and his caseworker at the DHS office was in a church and the ladies of the church stitched him a, a prayer quilt and prayed over every square. Um, and they gave us all a pillowcase. Me, the kids and I all, all got a prayer pillowcase. So that was cool. There were ways when he died that God was just, you know, God was just evident. I think I gave a presentation. There were five or six ways that, that I realized that even though he passed, that God showed himself in, in many different ways. And one of those was this, was as simple as it was a release for me. Um, and I see that happen in other things as well, but it was it was also in the way the detective called me at 3 a.m. and was so understanding. And I was an ex-wife at that point, um, but he called, he did the right thing. He let me talk and grieve as long as I needed to. He didn't hang up until I was ready. He walked me to the next steps. So many ways that God was present. Um, my brother and my Dad packed up a trailer that morning and we went up to get all of his stuff and um, so many ways that God's been present. And so I still see it now. I see it more now as I look back because, you know, I'm kind of scripting out the stories I'm telling. And when I go to speaking engagements that he never left me, he was always there, you know, for me. And he did show that in many ways. And, you know, I, I have women in classes that are devastated. You know, how could this have happened? And we were the perfect Christian marriage and we were leaders in our Sunday school and we ran the retreat every year. And this doesn't make any sense. And no, it doesn't make any sense, but someday it's going to make a beautiful story. And God sees that um, and sees that future. And if you look for him, he is there. 
he sends his angels and he he is there for you. He is. So if you feel far from him, it's usually because we've walked away, you know, or there's sin in there or there's something in there. Um, but he'll be there for you if, if you come back to him. He always is. Julie, thank you for all that you're doing to help women who need help. And thank you for sharing your story. I want women to be able to connect with the work you're doing, your book, all the things. So how can they do that? Um, I am all over the place. <laughs> you can find me on social media under my name, Julie Bond Blank. My website is juliebondblank.com. You can connect with me there. Um, the arm site, you know, I work with them as their women's ministries director. So we're at abuserecovery.org. So you can also contact with me uh, there as well. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today, Julie. Thank you for being willing to cover the topic and help spread the word and, and for the chat. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey there. I hope that that interview gave you some new insight and also offered some resources and some help if you or a friend need it. We're going to put all of Julie's information that she dropped in the show notes. And I hope that you know, as someone who has experienced domestic violence and abuse, that there is a way out that God can heal you, that God can surround you with health and safe relationships. And I hope that you will take the next step to do whatever it is you need to do to step into health. I hope that God surrounds you with all that you need. And friend, if you have someone you're concerned about, perhaps someone you work with or someone you live near or someone you go to school with, I hope that you'll take this information and this wisdom that was just shared and that you will use it to help someone else to reach out a hand and maybe even be that person like Julie talked about that sort of, you know, denormalizes. Don't even know if that's a word, but denormalizes abuse. No one should be living in abusive relationships. So take heart, friends. We can help each other. Know that you are loved and worthy of health and wholeness and goodness. God loves you. Keep colliding, and we'll catch you next week.